this is Alex. And this is Ellen. And you are listening to our podcast, Uniquely Portable Magic, where we talk about everything books. This week, we are talking about the book Girls of Paper and Shadow by Natasha Nung. It's Uh, actually Girls of Storm and Shadow. Can I tell you, I'm looking right at my book and reading the title off of the book, and I still said paper. That's great. That's quite alright. I do know how to read, I promise. Are you sure? This that is... happens to me too, where I end up uh, thinking I'm reading a certain word, but I really am not actually <laughs> reading it and just making that up in my mind. A totally different word comes out, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, just kidding. We're reading uh, Girls of Storm and Shadow. Um, we can pretend that that's what I said the first time. Um, <laughs> it continues the story of um, Lei and Ren and their sort of merry band of rebels. Um, and it's just, that's a lot, Alex. <laughs> I have a lot of... You doing okay over there? No, I have a lot of emotions, which, you know, at this point in time, our listeners probably are aware of, but I do. I have a lot of emotions after this one. Um, Just a heads up, uh, if you haven't read the book, we will be talking about it in depth, so there will be spoilers. Um, So if you don't want spoilers, go read the book, come back and join us. Or if you don't care about spoilers, stay and join us. That's just fine. Um, and then also, not so much in this book, um, it, I guess I shouldn't say it wasn't um, quite as prevalent in this book as it was in the first one, but we're going to put a trigger warning for um, for this episode also. Um, this one, I would say, probably is more a little bit on the recovery from sexual assault and uh, and dealing with the trauma, um, but... It's certainly there, and we don't want to cause any pain for anybody. So, if that's something that you are not ready or wanting to talk or listen about, then maybe join us for a next episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, should we dive right in? Yes, let's do it. All right. So, Ellen. Yes. Who was your favorite character? Okay, so I felt really good about last time because I only had one, and I tried to only have one again, but I have two. (laughs) So surprised. I know, but I was, I mean, I think there should be a round of applause for me having just one last time, like, okay. (laughs) So, um, my favorite characters are Lei, the main character. Um, I really liked her in the first book, but this one really sort of flushed her out as a character and I felt much more connected. I mean, I felt connected to her in the first one, but I felt so much more connected to her and sort of her journey in this one. Um, and then my second one, um, is Bo. Um, Uh. he is a wise ass and he's hilarious and kind and I just totally fell in love with him as a character and um so I tried my best to just have one but unfortunately Natasha's too good of a writer (laughs) and I had more than one and I had many runner-up favorites as well but we'll just call it at those two (laughs) Mm -hmm. you just couldn't help yourself (laughs) I couldn't it just happened (laughs) 
Alex, how about you? Okay, so last time around, Ren was my favorite character, followed pretty closely by Lei. Mm -hmm. Um, But this time around, I really struggled with some of Ren's decisions. Yeah. And connected a lot more with how Ren saw war and the way that she was trying to see morality in those decisions mm-hmm. um so my connection just with her character in general um was a lot greater i think in this book and then so you said also, so you said ren the second time too did you mean Le? oh did you mean, I mean lay okay Sorry. That's okay. Uh, I mean, like, yeah. I just wanted to and clarify. <laughs> also, at the same time, Lei uh, ends up dividing, developing these, like, supreme fighting skills in a super-duper short amount of time, which, I mean, first of all, I thought seemed really unrealistic, but second of all... I don't know that I would call them supreme fighting skills. I think she... Um, I mean... There was a point where she was compared to some of the best fighters of the Cat Clan. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. But also, I think, I also think that there was more time that passed than it seemed like it was. All right. Well, either way, (laughs) who wouldn't, I personally would love to develop super awesome fighting skills in a short amount of time. I mean, who wouldn't? And be able to hold my own and defend myself. Because, obviously, I'm in many situations on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> yes. I was just going to say, how how often do you find yourself in these situations, Alex? I find myself in harrowing situations yeah. about weekly, I would say. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's a pretty adventurous <laughs> life I live. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's why Leigh is my favorite character for this book. Okay. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I agree. So, um, yes, we're on the same page there. Maybe later we should discuss all these harrowing adventures you're going on on a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think this part of our uh, of our show has um, quickly become one of my favorite parts of the of the show. Um, but what is what was your favorite quote? Uh, so I think I had three last time and I again have three this time. Great. So bear with me while we go through them. I'm just going to say it's going to be fine because I have a small number more than three. (laughs) Oh, okay. Perfect. (laughs) Then, then we'll just jump right in. Okay. Um, so this first quote is more at the beginning of the book when um Ren is first Ren goodness gracious when Lei is first starting to get training um in fighting it wasn't long ago that I was a girl with fire in her veins a girl who brought flames and destruction to the royal palace a girl who took the kindling that the king's cruelty and her lover's empowerment created for her and lit up her whole world in a single stroke. Not long ago, I was a girl of paper and fire, and I'll be damned if I'm going to let a little bit of snow smother those flames. Oh, beautiful. 
yeah, I just loved how she carried the flame analogy throughout the entirety of that quote. Yeah. And it was great because uh, throughout the book, but especially in the very beginning, you see Lei struggling and trying to, again, find that flame. Mm-hmm. And it also happens to be snowing where they are currently. So I felt like that just like wraps the quote up in such a great way because it was both figurative and literal. Right. Um, so I just, that was all around great. Yeah. Um, let's see. So my next quotes are, I found them to be very empowering. Okay. Um, and so I really liked this next quote because, I mean, you know how important it is, um, for girls to feel empowered. Absolutely. I mean, it's important for everyone to know their own power. Mm -hmm. Um, but in our society, especially young girls often don't get that message, um, or if they do, it's not, you know, pervasive across the board. Right. So I thought this was really great. Um, it goes, because this is what I am. Not a paper girl anymore, just girl. Almost, as I told Lady Junia, a cast of its own. An oppressed cast, yes, but one braver and bolder and capable of more brilliance than any other in this world. So I found that, you know, pretty parallel to real life and that there are still many women who are oppressed and we still live yeah. in a sexist society, though we have come so far. Right. Yet women still are brilliant and brave and capable and strong and deserve to be seen that way. Yeah. Okay. You're, you have one more, right? Okay. One more. Go for it. So I'll read it and then I'll explain why I really connected to it. And this is Lay speaking. Okay. Ren, I say carefully, being <gasps> vulnerable isn't a flaw. Mm-hmm. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. If you were invincible, being brave would be easy. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it isn't easy, that we have to constantly work and work at it, make ourselves believe in our strengths, even when it feels like we're worth nothing, have nothing, can do nothing. That's power. That's resilience. Yes. So that makes me feel a lot better that that was one of your favorite quotes, because that was also one of mine. So that makes me feel uh, better that we can, like, at like cross it off okay. of my list. Um, so... I'll tell you why it was one of my favorite yes. quotes, and then we can jump into your favorite quotes, but you telling me why that one, you really connected with that Love one. It. So for me, I realized I definitely really struggle with being vulnerable, mm-hmm. and so the fact that Lay came out and said it, and just demonstrated how vulnerability is such a strength. And, and requires such power right. and fortitude mm-hmm. um, really connected with me and reminded me why I'm working towards being more vulnerable. Absolutely. Myself. That's about, so what about you? That's about the same reason that it was my favorite. I just, 
there is such power in letting yourself be vulnerable around anybody, but especially the people that you care about most, because those are often the people that you want to be the strongest for. Um, and, um, and like she said, that is strength in, in showing them every facet of who you are and what you're feeling and, and, and letting them in because it's so scary, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, facing that fear and moving through it is very important and not easy and many people struggle with it uh myself and I know I do yeah so like it just yeah that totally hit home for me um so my list of quotes jumps back towards the beginning as well uh mine starts uh the first one that I got came from the letter that uh Leigh gets from her father Finally. So right in the first book, she wrote him many letters. She wasn't even sure if they were getting to him. I think we still aren't sure if they were actually getting to him, but he writes her a letter. And finally it's delivered to her when Ren's father uh, gets to them. And so my first quote, uh, I have, so I have two quotes from that letter. The first one is, um, uh, and it's her father talking obviously, because it's his letter. Um, I asked them to tell us everything so I could know what it is you have suffered and what it is that changed you, that turned you into this strong, selfless girl they call the moon chosen. Do you know, do you know they call you this? Mama and I always knew you were special, but for us, it was nothing to do with the gods or luck or your eyes. It was your soul, my love. I knew it from the moment I held you in my arms. Um... And so in this letter, he's talking about the things that he asked people to tell him was everything that happened to her while she was at the palace. Um, And he wanted to know her struggles and he wanted to know everything that had happened because he knew that she was destined for greatness and was moving towards greatness. And he wanted to be there with her, I think, um, even though he couldn't physically be there with her. Uh Um, And I just thought it was so beautiful and such a beautiful portrayal of, I mean, specifically, of course, in this case, paternal love, but just parental love in in general um, and support and the support that I would, um, you know, imagine is needed for someone who has gone through what she has gone through Um, and, and knowing that it hasn't changed who she is and she's still worthy of love and all of that. Um, So my next quote is also from that letter. And it was just one little line that made me gasp because it was so beautiful. Um, And because um, Ren often, no, oh my gosh, no, you've got me doing it. Yeah, it's all my fault. I'm sorry. Um, I'm just saying the wrong name. (laughs) Like you mentioned, Lei has that fire an um, analogy that she carries through with herself. Um, and there was just one line that her dad wrote and it was burn bright, my brave daughter. Um, and it like made me tear up. I gasped. I was like, like just 
the support that she was getting from him and he wasn't saying this isn't safe for you come home he wasn't saying give up he was supporting her and he knew what her journey held and what was in store for her and he was there to support her and to let her make her own choices and I was just like mm-hmm. yes <laughs> um, yes and love having that analogy carry over exactly exactly he he saw the fire that she saw in herself um so my next quote is actually really it's really funny because it's the passage right before your second favorite quote um so it so my favorite part of that was girl such a simple title one i've been labeled all my life but nowhere was i called it more than at the hidden palace spat from the beaked mouth of Madame Himura, hissed with contempt by Naja, thrown with division by General Yu, but in the Cloud Palace with the magnificent Lady... I was saying Dunya. What were you saying? Dunya? Oh, I was saying Dunya. I don't know... That sounds better, so we're gonna... Let's go with yours. (laughs) With Lady Dunya before me and her bold, fierce daughters, I feel for one of the first times the hidden power contained within its single modest syllable um and for me it was it was such a beautiful embodiment of something that I think girls go through all over the world but I mean growing up you know I've I've heard it all around me my whole my whole life and like to clarify not like from family so much but just from society around me right oh you throw like a girl oh you run like a girl oh you're just a girl oh girl 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 (laughs) and even as women now we're still referred to as girls right exactly and so um it was such a beautiful like reclaiming of the word um and so I had much the same feeling about that as you did about the passage that comes I think directly after that (laughs) paragraph um, so, um, when you read yours, I was like, wait, that's so funny. <laughs> um, and then I have, I guess just two more because one of, <laughs> one of them was yours. Um, oh. um, this next one, um, is on page 178 of the hardcover version of this book um and um maybe it's not okay that's funny um weird well it's fine I so I don't remember exactly what's happening because I wrote down the wrong number I think um (laughs) but This is the quote, and I think it can certainly speak for itself. Um, It says, and without a word, because she understands there is no word to fix this, because she understands that what I'm saying is true, that some wounds cut far too deep to ever heal, and you just have to live with them, love around them, acknowledging their pain when you shift against their edges, and then simply keeping on. Um, And I thought it was such a beautiful way to talk about grief because truly that's what it is is a form of grief um and um it um um 
I actually really connected with that too and yeah. was contemplating whether it was going to be a favorite quote of mine so I'm glad you brought it up yes oh oh my gosh that's what it was so this comes after okay that's what it is. So this part comes right after they've come across the village that has been raided and Lei figures out that it is Aoki's village and that the house that they were just in was Aoki's family's house and that her whole family has been murdered. And um, she's heartbroken um, because she, to a small extent, understands how painful this will be for Aoki because her village was raided, not to the same extent, but you know, she lost her mother in that raid. Um, and so she can understand that pain a little bit. And then, um, it's just, it's, it's in Ren comforting her just, but really sinking into that grief and realizing that grief does change you. And it, whatever form that grief comes in, whether it's from losing a family member or a part of yourself, which is such a big part of these books or anything like that, you know, grief is, is, it doesn't go away. It just, you learn to live with it. Um, and so I just was just struck by how wonderful and, and beautiful that s- sentence was. Um, yeah, she described it very well. Yeah. And then my last one, um, is, um, later in the book, they've met General Lova, and um, General Lova has decided that you know has said that she will help them in their in their quest to rebel against the king. But she says to Lay, basically, don't count on the White Wing, which is a different clan that they had gone to get help from. Um, and she says just this one line to her and it says, isolationism is only a political strategy for the privileged. Um, and, um, I was struck by, um, not only how true of a statement it is, right? Um, but also by how prevalent it was, um, to modern society and especially stuff that's going on in America right now. Um, and, um, and not even just right now, but is, is really coming to light recently and in the recent years. Um, and so I was just really struck by how powerful such a small little sentence was. Um, and that was, uh, that was my last favorite quote. Unlike nice. unlike last time, Alex, I'm ready for our next <laughs> favorites <laughs> before I jump into stuff that we have to talk about. <laughs> Perfect. What was your favorite part in this book? So my favorite part was more of a compilation of things. Okay. Um, it wasn't really like a full specific scene. But it was more a realization of a couple of things okay. that occurred. Um, so at the end of the first book, mm-hmm. it's kind of assumed or portrayed that Kenzo is dead. Right. Um, and so that really crushed me because I was really starting to like him. Mm-hmm. 
And so my favorite parts of this book were first realizing that he was alive. Yeah. Like, I was hugely astounded and fully relieved. Mm-hmm. And then the two different scenes where you realize that there's actually a plan to break him out. Yeah. And that he's not going to be trapped under the lunar lake forever. And this torture that he's withstood will be worth it because he'll be out again. Though I definitely foresee... Although, in theory, I feel like it can be our... <laughs> can be a big... <laughs> That's true. But steps have been taken and we know that there is a plan there is, to try to get him There is definitely a plan. Yeah, and you see that in two different scenes. Though, mm-hmm. um, so I definitely foresee his character dealing with the trauma of his um, torture in the next book, possibly. But honestly, like, the amount of relief and happiness and joy that I just felt from those, like, little itty-bitty scenes, but it just, I was so excited about it. I know that seems like a weird favorite part, but just knowing that he lived and then that he was going to be okay. Yeah, that's uh, whatever. It gets, it's your favorite part, so <laughs> it doesn't have to, it's not weird. Um, so, what was your favorite part? I had some trouble with it. <laughs> Cause okay, I had, su- why is that? Surprise, surprise. Because um, there were quite a few parts that I was really drawn to. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think my favorite part is, and it's a very small part, and I say this with a lot of other parts that are so brilliant and beautiful. I loved all of the fight scenes. They were so well described and um, so vivid. Like, I could picture them in my mind. Like, I could see them happening. And they were so brilliantly written. Um, But my favorite part um, is after they've left the White Wing and uh, (laughs) um... Lay is in the carriage with Nita and Bo and Hero, and uh, uh-huh. and Nito and Bo. Nita and Bo are twins, <laughs> and all of a sudden they <laughs> start talking about <laughs> the priceless things that they have just stolen from their new allies, and I cracked up out loud. I thought it was so funny that, so like, they have a history of being thieves, so like, that doesn't necessarily isn't surprising that that would even cross their mind, but the fact that they did it, and the fact that they were so proud of themselves, and it's this game that they've turned it, you know, that they've turned it into this game about who can steal (laughs) the more priceless (laughs) thing from their hosts, I just thought it was... I thought that was so terrible. A combination of them all getting drunk and then the fact that the twins stole from this clan that they are trying to... And who had just lost a daughter. And who had just lost a daughter. And I just, I just loved the irreverence in it. Like, I just, oh my god, I just, it was, it was just the perfect little, like, break in the tension and I just... It just stole my heart. I was like, okay, you two are... Because also, they... This the two of them... It's part of the reason why Bo is one of my favorite characters. Like, just the way that they 
move through the world and that irreverence that it seems like they show, but you really know that they are caring and good and, you know, all of this. It just, I don't know, it just stole my heart. So that was my, <laughs> that was my favorite part. Um, just because it, it was just so stinking cute. And I, and so like, I don't want to say humanizing because they're not technically human, but like, it was just made me connect with them on a, a whole nother level. I totally understand that. Yeah, they were, they definitely provided a lot of comic relief yes, throughout. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, speaking of throughout, I've got some notes here, Alex, <laughs> that I'm very excited to talk about. I assume, I guess I shouldn't assume, but I can probably assume that you have some notes to talk about as well. Mm-hmm. Um I really, oh gosh, it's so hard because I, I had this feeling at the beginning of the book that really I was, I was so sure about through the whole book and then I, and by the end I was so validated (laughs) when it happened. I, can I talk about it? Okay. Yeah. What was your prediction? So. This, uh, I it, I got a little inkling of it before I wrote this note, but I wrote page 37, again, of the hardcover version. It might vary. Um, and then I wrote um, Katai, that's how I've been calling, pronouncing his name. Um, I don't know if that's really how you're supposed to pronounce it, um, but Katai Hano, which is Ren's father. Um, and then I wrote, I'm getting some s- serious... President coin vibes from the Hunger Games. So I guess te- oh. so 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 technically I guess I should also say tiny bit spoiler alert for the Hunger Games series. Alex, you've read them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read them. They're great books, loved them. Um but the 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 big thing in the third book that was so shocking of that series, right, is at the end Katniss gets the chance to kill President Snow, who's been the president for all this time. He's had all these Hunger Games. He tried to kill her multiple times. <laughs> you know, he's responsible for so much destruction. But she kills President Coin instead, right? Because she knows Snow is going to end up dead. But she can realize that Coin is not a better option than the current horrible dictator. Um, and I was getting these vibes mostly because in, she finally is meeting Ren's dad and she keeps having these moments where she's like, I've heard this before. Do you know who I've heard this from before? The King. Do you know, like, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. And I just, I got this like creepy vibe because he kept like staring at, um, Lei and he kept like, he was just, I was, it was, there was something off about it. And I didn't like the fact that Ren couldn't show her dad that she loved Lei, or wasn't feeling like she could show her dad that she loved Lei. Um, and so I was like, I'm getting some serious, he's not better, he's not a better option than the king vibes here. Um, Interesting that you got them so early, because I actually, I think in the same scenes, got that same like creepy vibe from him. Yeah. But my first thought was, he seems like he's trying to use Lei, or he is using Lei. Right. And how? Like, 
does he want to marry her? Yeah. Like, is that how he's going to use her? Yeah. Um, like, just in that predatory way that he was interacting with Lei. Yeah. But that was my first thought there. Um, Not um, that he would make a terrible ruler. I didn't catch up on that until much later in the book. I felt so vindicated then on page 341 when Lei finds out that it was Ren's father who raided Aoki's family's village Mm -hmm. to make it look like the king. (laughs) And I wrote in all caps, I was right! With like 15 exclamation points. (laughs) And I was like, it was Ren and her father, and really mostly her father, but Ren knew what was happening. So she's... That's just culpable. Yeah, I mean, and I'm going to say partially to blame. You know, if she didn't do anything to stop it, then you get to be part of the problem. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. If you knew it was happening and you didn't do anything to start, stop it, then you get to be part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, was... obviously you're not part of the problem if you didn't know it was going to happen and, and, mm-hmm. and then you didn't <laughs> stop it. Um, I, I figured I should probably clarify that. Um, but I felt so vindicated that my hunch was right. Um, because he... Doing things in the name of justice does not make them just, you know, and doing things in the name of doing the right thing doesn't make them right. Um, And I think Lay comes to that conclusion, of course. Um, And as a reader, I, of course, that's how I got, you know, I got to that conclusion. But I was like, look at me. I knew it. (laughs) That always is the best feeling. Yes, because very often I don't know it. (laughs) Yeah, I really struggled with this concept of right and wrong and tactics and the fact that it was war. And so does that change like, the playing field in terms of what decisions are acceptable and what aren't. Um, I think to some degree it does. Yeah, because I, you know, when I, when we realized that Kitai, is that how you pronounce his name? That's how I've been pronouncing it. it? Okay. Yeah, Kitai. Was the one who had raided Aoki's family's village. I was a little horrified, but at the same time I was like, okay, I totally understand that tactic. Like, that's unfortunate, but kind of a good tactic to use. Mm. But then, as we kept learning more and more about some of the decisions that Ren and Kitai were making Mm -hmm. so that they could win. Yeah. um, And to make the world a place where paper cast was not you know, looked down upon, then I really started questioning things. And I really started questioning Ren and whether, you know, she was justified in her decisions, both in killing um, Hero, like letting him sacrifice himself, Mm -hmm. and Bo, and then the White Wing Clan's daughter, yeah. Um, so it's it interesting. Really the daughter that got me because 
the other ones were in like actual fighting scenes mm-hmm. versus right. that one was like flat out murder. Yeah. But then I was thinking, like, okay, all's fair in love and war. Is that really true? And then the next thought that came to mind for me was, well, would I be questioning these decisions so much if they were being made by a man yeah. instead of a woman? And so the conclusion that I have come to is I have no idea. I don't know what's justified or not. And I've decided that I would handle being at war very poorly. (laughs) I would not not be a good tactician or tactician because I would more like lay, have, you know, problems with my conscience. Yeah making decisions like that. Yeah, so that's really interesting. So I had kind of the opposite reaction. So my, I, when I heard about the village, um, because we find out about all the other people, well, not all the other people, we find out about Eola, especially, um, a a few pages before that, about ten pages before that, because I also have a note about that. Um, But I, I can understand the decision and the choices that she made with Bo and with Hero. Those I could understand. They knew what they were signing up for when they signed up to be a part of this team. They knew the risk. And it's the one or the many, right? It's the whole classic uh, trolley scenario, right? You're on a trolley. There's two. You're heading towards five people who are stuck on the track. Or you can pull the lever and you could go to the other track and there's only one person, but you know that person, right? Like it's, it's that classic morality question. Like, what do you do? And of course, standing outside of the situation, not being in that actual situation, you can vary. Most people, I should say, not everybody, but most people are like, Oh, you save, you kill the one person to save the five, you know, like even if it's someone, you know, you kill the one person to save the five people. Um, so that part, I logically from outside of the book and outside of that situation, I totally understood the choices that were made. Um, but for me, I, I understand the thought process behind like why Katai wanted to be, you know, do some of these raids on these villages um but those are innocent people and there's no they didn't sign up to be a part of it they didn't have any say in the matter they you know it that's 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 murder you know like the (laughs) and it's mass murder like it's not even just I mean it's one murder like with Eola is bad (laughs) But these are whole villages that they're burning down in the name of rebellion. And it's, for me, what puts him right on the same, or maybe not on the exact same uh, level as the king, because the king has some other uh, really horrible issues that um, he's got that put him in a, on a really horrible place. Um, but it, it certainly puts Katai on the road to being as bad as the king, in my mind. Um, But it's interesting because when we first, when they were first at the village, and we first see that the village 
was rated. I had, this is another one of my notes. I had this, it was weird to me. I was like, okay, so the king rated Aoki's family, because at that time, that's what we are led to believe and have no reason not to believe. And, but I thought it was weird that he would do that because we had that whole scene with him and Aoki where he calls her to him finally after everything that has happened. And yes, he gets angry at her because she asks for help for Blue, like medical help for Blue. Um, but they seemed to, in whatever horrifyingly messed up way, they seemed to sort of patch that up. So I had this brief thought that was like, why did he pick her village? Because there's no way he wouldn't have known it was her village. And I was like, is he really that mad? And and by mad, I mean angry, but also like crazy mad. Like that he would do that just because she asked for medical help for Blue. Like it it wasn't adding up. But then I was like, he doesn't need a reason. <laughs> and so I just sort of chalked it up to that. Um um, yeah, I. But I did I, have a brief thought of, oh, that's weird. I think for me, I thought that he was getting back at her for being such good friends with Lei. Sure. And that his whole talk of love and how their relationship was different than all the other girls was bullshit. Mm-hmm. And that he was just, you know, playing with her. Yeah, um, but obviously he's not the one who ordered the raid, right. and I still don't know about their relationship. Like, what is real on his part versus acted? It's hard. It was hard for me to tell. I don't know if you got that. Like, whether he was duplicitous and I just, I just consider all of his. <laughs> All of his actions duplicitous, really. Um, I think it's... I think it's... I think she does offer him something that nobody else in his sort of immediate circle offers him. Um, she offers him unconditional support, um, or what he sees as unconditional support. Um, and I think he's messed up enough to think that it was given freely, um, you know, and that she had a choice in the matter. Um, so I think, um, as someone who listens to a lot of true crime and watches a lot of stuff about true crime, there's enough in there that gives me inklings of, like, serial killers who have that one person that they won't hurt or that they're like it's just there's enough similarity at the very least in sort of that mentality that I um I think I think he thinks it's real (laughs) if that makes any sense um but I but he's but he's raving mad you know like he's right so I, I unfortunately I don't think it's um, actually, I mean, it's not actually real. You know, it's what he needs at this point in time, you know. Uh, but yeah. she, but let me just say, she's in danger. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, no kidding. I mean, she's been in danger since the beginning, but, like, it just was even more evident in this one that I was like, I just, uh, I'm uncomfortable with this whole (laughs) situation. That's putting it lightly. Um, but speaking of Aoki and the King, um, I have, I have a couple notes about that chapter of them together, um, but I feel like we're just plowing through my notes and I don't want to ignore your notes, so. Well, but we've also been, I kind of piggyback off of yours. Great. If we have anything in common, which I've been doing so far, but I did, I did want to talk about Aoki, too. Great. Um, so... I just was absolutely heartbroken when the king told her that she was the one unknowingly who had clued him in to Ren being an item. Like, I... Can I tell you? just, like, feel my chest, like, no! So, oh my god, can I tell you? As the over-emotional reader that I am, um, I gasped out loud and threw the book. (gasps) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I, because the way that they, that Natasha portrays it in the book, right, is the first thing that she says is, Aoki, you, uh, the king basically says something along the lines of, like, Aoki, you know you were the one who told me. Like, and it makes it seem like he's like, stop fooling yourself. You know that you did this. And so my first instinct was, how dare she? Like, I was horrified and furious. And then shortly afterwards, you know, he continues talking, right? And then you find out that she didn't do it on purpose. And it was, you know, it was just him being able to read her body language. Um, And so, of course, immediately I was like, okay, like, that weight was off my chest, but then I had a very similar reaction that you had. But, like, (laughs) I... So the book throwing was due to your initial rage? Like, my my heartbreak and rage. Like, because I love her as a character, you know? And she's... Um... You know, it's a very fascinating, her storyline is very fascinating. And so I was heartbroken that she would have betrayed Lei to the king. Um, yeah, same. I really was. I found her a character that was hard to connect to in the first book. Sure. But her small little chapter that she had in the second book. Right. I I think partially because she was no longer so black and white. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. she, her character had so many more gray areas mm-hmm. and so many more conflicting emotions that she just made more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, but I was, yeah, that was... Um, and Alex, you, you'll appreciate this. Um, in my rage and shock and book throwing, I I damaged my book a little bit. That's why I was the most surprised I that know. you threw your book. 
Because it was just it was like it was like a It has happened to me on occasion, and it's always, like, a knee-jerk reaction. Like, and really, it's not even that I'm meaning to throw it. It's usually that my hands just move so quickly that the book ends up flying. Because normally when I read, I hold the book up by, like, my stomach or my chest, right? And sometimes I have, like, a pillow underneath it, like, as a book rest. But sometimes I'm just holding the book. And so... (laughs) Sometimes, in my shock, my hands move quickly, and then the book ends up not in my hands. Um, so it's not uh-huh. like... That's, that's believable, Ellen. Sure. <laughs> it's true. It's not like I picked up the book and, like, hurled it at the wall. Um, but it definitely got some air, and it got <laughs> some damage. It's not awful, probably... Nobody else probably would <laughs> even think twice about it. But um, as I continued reading, I was like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Um, because I'm, I like to say a little neurotic about my books, but. Uh, That's exactly <laughs> how I was going to describe it. But I think we could probably safely say I'm I'm a bit more than a little bit neurotic about my books. <laughs> Um, I'm definitely better than I used to be, but, um... So true. I can vouch for that. But it's, um, yeah, I have, I have a hard time with, uh, books that are damaged. Um, so, yeah, I love, I loved that little, um, chapter that we got. Actually, in general, I liked the little chapters, um that gave us insight into other characters that we had met in the first book. Um, Like you said, those are some of your favorites when you were able to find out what happened to Kenzo. Um, And I loved knowing what happened to the other people. Like I was like lay mentions a couple times, you know, she's worried about what happened to the other paper girls. I liked having that little chapter that yes, was mostly about Aoki, but it was checking in on the other paper girls and Um, what was happening with them. I liked the chapter that we found out what happened to Lil and um, Mistress Azumi, right? Is that her name? I think so. I liked, you know, so I I liked getting those little um, glimpses into characters because I was thinking about them, (laughs) you know, and, (laughs) and worried about them. So I liked being able to have little check-ins with them to see what was going on and I appreciated that it was kind of different than how other books kind of go between characters sure typically you'll if you're going to do that you follow multiple storylines throughout the book Mm -hmm. and not just having like a chapter here and there yeah Yeah, I think it was literally just like one chapter per character yeah other character mm-hmm. yeah which at first I was a little confused by it I, but then I realized that it really worked yeah I do think it is leading up to having more storylines probably in the third book that um, that we don't have that would, that would make sense oh yeah um that. because and mostly I got to that conclusion uh when I read the last page and what <laughs> and what happened <laughs> and so um 
that's sort of when I was like, oh, that's what those chapters were, is that they were leading us into what's most likely going to be multiple storylines in, uh-huh. in the third book. Um, but speaking of this book, I did want to go back to uh, the... Let's go back to the technically kind of beginning, but it's really already like 100 pages into it. Um, I wanted to talk about um, the White Wing that they they went to visit. And most specifically, I wanted to talk about... Um, uh, so, mostly I wanted to... It was a very brief little thing. So it's after Aeola, Eola is killed. Um, and it's on page 133, and it's just this one little throwaway line that um, Lay has. And I just, and I chuckled when I read it because it was the exact same thought that I had. It was so funny. So she's met this family, the family, you know, and, and one of these daughters is reading <laughs> like a smutty romance scroll which I thought was so endearing and adorable that that's what she was doing in her in her spare time um Uh and then (laughs) she's killed and then what this one of the thoughts that Lay has is um I pictured her reading last night did she manage to finish the story before she was killed it's a ridiculous thought but it strikes me as important and I laughed because I had the I had the exact same thought, like, flitter through my head after I heard that she was dead. I um, see where your priorities lie. I mean, I, the thing is, is, like, I would have probably spent a little bit more time on the fact that she was dead if we had spent more time with her as a character, right? Mm-hmm. But she was pretty much introduced and then killed off. Like, there was not a ton of time to um, get to know her or have feelings of any sort towards right. her. So I think that's where it leaves a little bit more room for such a funny thought to have <laughs> crossed my mind. Um, but I cracked up because I was like, same way. I Did she oh. did she get to finish her book? Like, did she get to know what happened at the end of her story? Uh, oh my goodness. That's hilarious that you had that thought before. <laughs> it was put into our minds. Yes. Uh, but I actually wanted to back us up. I haven't a couple of things that I just wanted to put out there, whether we discuss them or I just say them because I thought they were pertinent. Yes. That occurred a little bit earlier. So was I the only one who initially at the beginning of this book was like super annoyed with Lei and how she thought she wasn't being useful and like couldn't believe that she wouldn't she wasn't involved in like decision making or in helping to do other things and I'm gonna go with yes <laughs> my, cause my my reaction to her to her was like wow you are so annoying right now interesting like you're surrounded by all of these skilled people who have been in these like decision making processes for a long time and you wonder why they're not having you do things you have skills but none of them are applicable in these situations and you could get yourself killed like come on stop being so naive like i was i was getting so interesting 
initially. That's yeah. Interesting. So, so I'm haven't you? That like by the end she was my favorite character because yeah. at the beginning I was like, I just, I just no. Well, haven't you ever been in a situation where even if you're not qualified for some part of it, you want to be able to help? That you want to be able to contribute? And because I've certainly been in situations where I'm oh, like, absolutely. But as the outsider looking in, uh, I could see all of the everyone else's reasons for not having her do things. I wasn't putting myself in her shoes. Mm. I was the reader looking at the entire situation being like, come on, character. Like, <laughs> I don't care how you feel. Look at this entire situation from my perspective, okay. where I can see a little bit higher up than you can. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So, okay, apparently I was the only one who was frustrated with her. Well, I mean, you were the, the only one... Book. You were the only one of the two of us. Like, <laughs> certainly yeah. there could have been more people and, you know, hopefully they'll reach out if, if they had the same feelings as, as you did about that. Um, that's really interesting. I did not have that feeling at all. Yeah. Um, glad I could share. Yeah. So I had a big question that I never resolved, but maybe you can resolve it for me. Okay. Um, Will you still love me if I can't? (laughs) Always. Okay, cool. (laughs) Always. So, throughout the book, Lei has these, like, visions of the king and hears, thinks she hears him. Yeah. And you find out later on that Naja has been following them. Right. And for a while, and I guess, I still never came to a conclusion whether that was, like, PTSD or if there was some kind of magical, like, aspect and she was actually, like, seeing things. So I think it's a mixture of both. Um, Oh, okay. Because there's a part after... She she finds out that Naja's been following them, right? She's she's fighting her... um, Wherever they were fighting. Um, (laughs) And I, um, and she says something along the lines of, or she thinks, I think, actually, I don't think she says it out loud, but Lei has this moment when she's fighting Naja and she's like, I did see her. I did. And I think what it is, is that, so she had the sense that she was being watched. And I think that triggered her PTSD. So I think it was a mixture of both. So Naja was following her. She was being watched. She had the sense she was being watched. And then her PTSD took it a step further. And even though it wasn't directly the king who was watching her, because of all of the things that she went through in the first book and all the trauma that she's dealing with, her brain sort of filled in the gaps of oh if you're being watched it must be him you know Uh um so long answer short i think it's a little bit of both okay all right i can see that that actually (laughs) helped me because i really wasn't sure so um Speaking of the king, one thing i thought was super fascinating so this book obviously deals with most specifically Lei, but I think a little bit Ren, 
and not even, I think, a little bit red as well, dealing with the trauma that they are suffering after being paper girls and being assaulted and, and raped by the king, right? And um, I th- again, I thought Natasha did a wonderful job um, honoring that healing process and the different ways that people heal from trauma like that and being delicate with it. Um, so I, again, I thought she did an amazing job with that. Um, but what I also found interesting is that she gave the king, um, moments of trying to recover from his trauma, right? So like he nearly died, but, and there are multiple scenes though, where you see the king, dealing with his PTSD after almost dying. Um, And I thought it was such a brilliant um, choice on her part. One, to put put his trauma um, alongside the trauma that these girls are going through. Um, And, but to also give the, the villain such a humanizing storyline you know like it doesn't excuse anything it doesn't make me like him anymore right but it's it it was i thought it was such an interesting thing that she put in there but i the the thread through all of that that i found the most interesting is that the king cannot say lay's name he is so traumatized i don't think i noticed that it, he's so traumatized and he's so terrified of her because she almost killed him and he cannot say her name most noticeably it happens in the the chapter about aoki um so it's on page 155 of the paperback and um it's this it's this part here um it says the king tutted my sweet aoki there's no need to be ashamed i know she was your friend maybe you loved her even but i know you love me more He spoke as soothingly, as sweetly as his damaged voice allowed. You remember, it was one of the nights we shared a couple of weeks before the moon ball. I asked you how the other girls were doing. You told me you were worried about... He choked off. The hand on the back of her neck or head twitched. About your friend, he went on after a few seconds. Though Lay's name was clear to both of them, even in its absence. That she'd been looking tired lately and seemed distant. You said you missed talking to her, blah, blah, blah. And he keeps going on about explaining how he figured out that Lei was sleeping with Ren. Um, But there are other points, like at the beginning when we first hear about the king, there's parts where it's mentioned that he can't even say her name. And he, anytime he's thinking about her, it's always her. I'm going to find her. I'm going to get her. But he is so traumatized by the fact that this in his eyes, this nobody almost killed him and took him down so well. And I just, I thought it was fascinating that they are, they're both so scared of each other. And I thought it was... Yeah, I totally did not catch that he wasn't saying her name. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I... I agree that the author did a really good job portraying trauma and how 
people deal with trauma and allowing the reader into that process Mm -hmm. and allowing us to see into that um, in ways that we typically don't get to see how other people, you know, deal with trauma. So seeing it through a character is a very... um, interesting and humbling experience absolutely um one of the other things that I noticed um um that I also thought so one of my notes in the first book was I understood why it wasn't there but I really had wanted more time to sink into Leigh and Ren's relationship I wanted more time to see them be happy and in love with each other. Um, And I definitely felt like I got more of that in this book, which I was very happy about because I'm a sucker for a good love story. Um, (laughs) And so, but one of the things that struck me is, and that sort of ties into this trauma side of it, is um, throughout the book, there are moments when... Lei and Ren are sort of coming together and then some facet of their trauma pulls one or both of them back. Mm-hmm. And most notice notably, not noticeably, notably for me, um, is um, on page 110 and, oops, uh, is on page 110 and um, it's Lei talking about Ren Um, But it says, once we're alone, Ren stands awkwardly by the curtained archway. I perch on the end of the bed, pulling my tangled hair from my ragged gold braid and shaking it out. Wind blows in from the window, stirring the curtains and the fingers of insects, smoke rising from burners in the corners of the room. Ren stands straight, shoulders rolled back. If you didn't know her the way I do, you'd think she was calm, was her calm, confident self. But I see the tightness in the line of her lips, the way her chest rises and falls a fraction faster than normal. I want to throw my arms around her to tell her that it will be all right, but I know she'll come to me when she's ready. Um, and I just, it's such a beautiful way to acknowledge many different things. One, that when you're dealing with someone who has been in a situation where their choice and their body has been taken away from them, um, it's very important to make sure that they get a choice in how they're comforted, right? Um, But it's also, I think, just a beautiful, healthy way to approach any relationship, whether or not you have this trauma in it. Um, Like, and and it really struck me as, so I'm a hugger. I love hugging people. (laughs) And I... And I get comfort when I'm sad from hugging people. But in my life, I've had to learn that that's not how everybody likes to be comforted and that I can't try to help people the way that I would want to be helped because it doesn't bring them or doesn't necessarily bring them the same amount of comfort that it brings to me. And so I thought it was such a beautiful moment where she was like, this is what I want to do, but I know that I have to do what she wants to do. Like, I can't, and I just thought it was such a beautiful facet of their relationship and in such a healthy part of their relationship. 
um, and so respectful and so, um, and I just thought it was a beautiful moment to, to highlight, um, in, in their beautiful, although kind of fractured, uh, relationship. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. That's something that, um, I definitely noticed too, that was kind of a trend in the book is, um, providing that choice and that I don't want to say distance but knowing when someone still needs their own time Mm -hmm. before you can help them Mm -hmm. like they have to help themselves and be ready to do that before accepting anyone else's help yeah and so no matter like how much you try to do something for someone else if they aren't ready for it and aren't in a place to accept any help yeah then it's not really going to do any good absolutely um yeah so I have just a couple more notes and I'm one of the ones I do really want to talk about but I'm avoiding like the plague um (laughs) so we're gonna skip to one that I just was a very funny little moment um okay it's on page 285 and um they've been what happened oh so they um it's when they're with uh they've gone to the I was saying the Kazo. I don't know if that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. That's how I was pronouncing it. It's C-Z-O. Um, but it's the, the second tribe that they're supposed to try to win over. And uh, they've been... Um, and some of their party has been captured, right? Like Marin and uh, Nita and um, Hero. Like, they've all been captured, but Lei and Ren haven't been. And Lei goes to rescue them, <laughs> and she gets knocked out, <laughs> and she has a brief moment. Um, I'm sorry, sorry. She's trying to free Marin, and she gets knocked out, at least briefly. And there's just a part where she is coming to again, and um, it just it was such a funny little thing. And I thought it was a great way to put a little bit of tension breaking in a very tense scene. Um, and it's just, uh, before me, like, reluctant gods come to watch my execution, my four friends hang from the ceiling beam, straining against their binds. Their screams are muffled. Marin is suspended right above my head. (laughs) He moves differently than the others, frantic jerking, instead shrugging his shoulders in an odd rhythmic way. (laughs) And then she just says, at first, I get the mad idea he's doing some sort of bird demon death ritual to bestow good luck on my soul when I die. And then it hits me. He's trying to free his wings. And I just just thought it was such a cute little thing. And, like, it felt like something I would probably do. I'd be like, what are you, like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm about to die? Oh, you're doing a little death dance for me. Oh, that's nice. Like, it was just, (laughs) and so cute and so funny. And I just, um, 
it just it made me chuckle um a little bit oh, like just you know and it gave me a tiny bit of relief um after a, uh probably the hardest part in this book for me um and um I don't know do how many more notes do you have do you have any more I have two more okay so what are what what are one of yours <laughs> I'm going to try to okay. avoid one of my notes for as long as I possibly can. Okay, so this one's really just a question based on one interaction between Lei and General Lova. It kind of made it seem like maybe there was a possibility that they might get together in the future. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know if you picked up on that at all, but it was I did not, but now I want you to tell me. Lova <laughs> had an interest in Lei. Like, I know she's still in love with Ren, and Ren and Lei are still together and still love each other. Right. But I'm just wondering, like, in the process of the next book throughout the rest of the war if their relationships will ebb and flow such that Lei and Lova maybe don't necessarily have a relationship, but Interesting. become lovers for at least one time. I don't know. That was like a vibe that I picked up. And based on your reaction, I would say I could be completely wrong. Or um, you just picked up on something that I didn't pick up on. Yeah. So I guess we'll find out when the next book comes out what happens with their relationship but so what part are you what part are you, do you know do you have a yeah i didn't know what part it was so, so but can you can you kind of remember what part it was nope okay that's Not fine <laughs> <laughs> like, totally fine what it what it was about their interaction uh, i don't remember if it was like a look or something that she said um like, obviously, it was in between them escaping from the zoos and then being attacked again. Um, but that's, you know, there's a lot of pages mm-hmm. in that section, so I can't narrow it down. Okay. I think it's when, it's when they meet the... Amala tribe okay. and are initially like making introductions and stuff. But, Interesting. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember what it was that okay. made me think that. Interesting. Um, so one of my other notes I realize ties into my thoughts about Katai Hano, um, but there's this passage here, really close to the end. Um, Lei is talking with Marin after he's come back um, after he left. Um, and he sa- and it says, um, he starts by saying, they let him die, Ren and Cain, and they used Hero as if he were nothing to them, as if, his, as if his life was just more collateral damage in their quest for power. When I realized it was Ren who killed Eola at the Cloud Palace, that was the last straw. I knew I couldn't support a leader who has such little disregard for the lives of others. We have a king like that already. We don't need another. And that was that was the part where I was like, I have been saying that since page thirty-seven, because <laughs> I write the page numbers. Um, and I was like, I, I was like, I 
told you all that this, and by you all, I'm mostly just like myself, um, <laughs> that's how I read, okay? I imagine that there are other people inside my head when there aren't. Um, and, uh, but that was, that was really the, like, the final nail in the coffin, like, okay, I'm, I am right about this. Like, there's, there's nothing to see here, because Ellen was right, slash. You felt very vindicated. I did. Okay. Nice. I have, so. I have one more note, but do you have a note so I can avoid this even longer? <laughs> um, sure, I have two things, so, Yay. um, one, I was really struck by this saying from Mistress Azami that okay. I don't think I've ever heard this said quite this way before. I mean, it, it makes sense, but I don't know that I've heard the phrasing quite this way. Okay. Secrets between friends create enemies, but secrets between enemies create friends. Oh, sure. Yeah, and I was just very struck by that, like, why didn't I think of that before? Like, it makes sense, but yeah. for some reason, I was like, yeah, the whole thing of secrets between friends can make, can create enemies, okay, sure, uh, but and, the and, second part and, of it, I was like, oh, I guess I didn't really think about how your enemies become your friends that way. Yeah, and also, though, like... We can clearly see the first part of that happening, right? Ren, time and again, is keeping things from Lei, even though she has asked her repeatedly to be honest with her. And, of course, it doesn't make them so much enemies, but it puts a huge rift in their relationship to the point mm-hmm. to the point where Lei is basically walking away from her, right? Yeah. Like, she... Um, so we definitely see that first part. It's funny, because that part... Um, I also thought that was a very interesting saying, um, but it definitely made me think of the whole, you know, keep your, it seems like another fact. Your fa- friends close right. and enemies closer. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like a slightly different facet of that idea. Exactly. Yeah, for exactly. sure. Yeah. Okay. So do you want me to just comment on my final thing? Yeah. So you can put off yours. Okay. Yeah. So I can't remember if I said that. Like, the first book, I, it wasn't, like, a page toner for me. Right. Like, I didn't connect with it as much. Like, I thought it was okay, but I never was like, oh, my gosh, I can't put this book down. Sure. Or, like, I can't wait to pick it back up. Um, but the second book, <laughs> I definitely liked a lot better than the first okay. one. I think... I mean, it just had so much more action and intrigue Mm -hmm. to it than the first book, and there was just so much more of a flow to the, you know, I guess it just wasn't as static as the first book felt for me. I would also go go so far as to say, while still heavy, like the second book is still heavy, it's not as, that first book is, is rightfully very heavy and it's a uh-huh. it's a hard book to read for that I for me I should say I guess I, sh- I don't want to put words in your mouth um but I felt the same way like I did I did enjoy the first book um but I also did not have any part where I was like I can't put this down 
Um, but I could not put this book down. <laughs> yeah, it definitely. Yeah, I like this one. A and lot I'm better. very sad that we don't have a book three yet. <laughs> Just um, gotta do that that normal thing that you do called waiting for the authors because <laughs> you know it's not like it takes any time to write. Books no, of course or not. Well, see, the thing is, Alex, you know that in my normal reading life in just when I read a series, if the series isn't out yet, I often don't, I either don't start the book that's out or I don't finish the book that's out until I at least know when the next one is coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I have such a hard time (laughs) with not knowing what's going on with my, with my characters. (laughs) Um, So I'm feeling a little antsy, uh, but you mentioned Maybe not while we were recording, but you mentioned that the next one's coming out next year. Yes. Okay, so we I don't, don't have. Know when. But there's an end in sight, at least. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so that's that's reassuring for me that I that there is an end in sight. Mm-hmm. Um, to my anxiety here. Um. Okay. Let's, it's time. It's, I don't. I don't know what you've been avoiding, and I'm very curious to know what it is. So. Uh, one of the things that I loved so much in this book, um, I mean, there were many things that I loved, but one of the things I loved so much was, um, the banter and then the relationship between Bo and Marin. Um, one being a cat cast, uh, a cat, yeah, a cat cast, one being a bird cast, um, and I just loved sort of them coming together and sort of overcoming their differences and the perceived prejudices that they would have being sort of different species, quote unquote, because that's not quite the right term, but, um, and... Well, also the fact that their two clans, like, notably... Hate each other. Hate yeah. each other, yeah. Exactly. Um, and... Um, on page, on page 237 of the hardcover, um, Lay just beat or beats Kane for the first time in their sparring match. And um, he, you know, after all of this time, he says to her, well done. And she goes, you know, after all these weeks, that's it. Well done. And he says, it was one hit. And then she goes, against one of Ikara's most skilled warriors. And then Bo raises a hand. Um, where is this list? And can someone please verify that my name is indeed on there? <laughs> with my lightning reflexes and unparalleled skills with a staff, I really should be number one. Marin cuffs him lightly on the back of the head. Hey, Bo complains. The owl demon smirks. Not quite lightning reflexes then. However, I can for one... <laughs> I, I, for one, can certainly verify your skills with a staff. And so this little thing, I was like, oh, my God, they are so stinking cute. And I literally thought to myself before I turned the page, <laughs> I literally thought to myself, I hope neither of them die. And then, really? and then I turned the page and I read and then... On literally the next page, Bo dies. And I 
am already tearing up again because I was heartbroken. Um, but I <laughs> have never regretted thinking something <laughs> so quickly. Oh my god. Um, I gasped, like almost screamed. Because at first, like, it's not clear if he's dead or not, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. he's been impaled by an arrow. Um, and, but then it's not clear right away that he's dead. And so, of course, for a small second, I was holding out hope. <sighs> but then he dies, and it was horrifying, and I was so sad. And I <laughs> was like, <laughs> I know this is not really logical, but I was like, it's all my fault. Like... <laughs> I put it out in the universe, and then the universe was like, ha ha, hold my beer. And I was... <laughs> and oh I, my gosh. And then, gosh. I had, and then I had a split second of a thought of, I was like, this is 2020, I shouldn't have thought that. Like, of course, 2020. So <laughs> of course. And like, this book, I think, came out last year even, so like, I don't even think this book was written in 2020, or published in 2020. But I was like... I... Just the immediate gut punch that was that scene just, like, ripped my heart out and stomped all over it. And I was not prepared. Um, yeah. I think for me that it came so completely out of left field because no one had really died in the first or second books. Like, the only people who died were really peripheral characters. hmm And so I just didn't even anticipate that being a possibility. Yes, they were in the middle of a war, but I still did not anticipate any of the more main characters dying because it just hadn't been a thing yet. So it completely took me by surprise. Yeah. And then, and then they just, she just added another quick death right after that, like one, two punch. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, so I, um, and what I found even more interesting about this, right, is so right before this chapter, we get the chapter with Kenzo and Naja, and she tells him (laughs) that the Royal Armada is right behind them, or the, the warship, it's not the Armada, it's just one ship, but there's one Royal ship, like, close behind them and then all of a sudden I get into this chapter and I apparently <laughs> just completely block that information out and so like <laughs> so I had zero sense of like anxiety I wasn't like they're about to get caught I was like apparently I was like she's lying like <laughs> and then I have just I just thought it was so like just my luck that I would have that feeling like Neither of them better die. And then literally, not even a full page later, <laughs> one of them is dead. Uh-huh. And I was, and, and like, I loved, I love them both. But like, and of course it was my favorite of the two of them. Like, I would have been sad if Marin had died, but like. Bo like, was one of your favorite characters. Like, it had to be Bo. Like, of course it did. I would. <laughs> So it was, yeah, like, (laughs) but I was like, how ironic is it that my, before I turned the page, my thought process was, oh, neither one of them better die. (sighs) Yep. So that. Yeah, 
was, was not, was very not good. unlucky premonition. Yeah, that was one. Of, that was a premonition that I would have been very happy to have, have not have had a premonition of. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I would have been really okay with that. Um, I didn't write this down, but do we want to talk at all about Marin and and sort of what he did? Because I... oh gosh, I was so like. I was a little concerned when he was asking, saying that he needed to talk to everyone. I was yep. like, oh my god, what did he do? Is he going to um, confess that he did something bad? And yeah. then you don't know what he was going to say, and it turns out that he wasn't going to confess at all. Um, he was just luring them out there because that he didn't want as many people killed. Um, On the flip side, though, he didn't expect... I mean, not that it excuses what he did, but he did not expect what followed to be what happened. I know, but still... Oh, gosh, I no, mean, it doesn't... Like, it's just another facet of Natasha demonstrating, like, what grief yeah. can do. Absolutely. And trauma. Uh, and trauma. Yeah. He watched... His, I think we can probably say his love. You know, like, it, I don't think it's as expressly put out there as it is with Ren and Lei, but, like... Mm-hmm. I think we can safely say they were in love with each other. You know, like, he watched yeah. his love die. And 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 it's still a little up in the air. Like, maybe he was already dead and he couldn't have been saved, but maybe he could have been saved. And that's got to be horrifying, you know? Yeah, like, I was kind of pissed at Hero and Ren for that because... Like, it's obvious that once Ren, um, like, gives a blood sacrifice, that Hero is not needed for the wind. And he could have gone back and worked on Bo. Yeah. And that didn't happen. But also, maybe, like, what he, maybe, like he said, Bo was already dead. You know, like, maybe they're... I don't know if I believe that or not. I know. It's, it's... Yeah, <laughs> is the is the short answer to that? But yeah, I was, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, that was that was a little heartbreaking for me to have Marin have done that to to them. Um, but I'm also very intrigued as to what's going to happen next because it looks like, uh, it looks like you know, Lay's on her way back to the palace, not. Not of her own volition. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to see what happens next. Me too. I mean, I thought, how stupid are you to go traipsing in the desert thinking you can help them in their fight <laughs> when. When you're miles and miles away? Miles and miles away. You're going to get dehydrated in the desert. You're already injured. Yeah. Like, do you not think that that's the greatest idea you've ever had? Like, well, uh, even she thinks to herself, though, she's like, like, I blame, I blame her for getting herself captured. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it was not a smart decision, but she even thinks at one point, like, if, since I'm probably going to die, I would like to die with Ren, you know, like, yeah. So, I mean, I, 
I do understand the thought process that went into it. Is it still a dumb thought process? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> but um, that's the big part that makes me really um, excited for the next book and anxious that I don't have it in my hands right now. <laughs> um, but Good luck living with that anxiety. No, it'll be... I mean, of course, it'll be fine. Um, but I'm very excited to... to to read the third book. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. I think we covered it. Okay. Well, same here. Um, I've now cried for the second time on our podcast. Uh, and definitely not for the last time. Yeah. We can just, you know, very safely say that I'm sure Um, I I will cry on here again. Um, so, um, if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter, um, Uniquely Portable Magic Podcast, at UPM Pod Official, on Instagram, Uniquely Portable Magic Podcast, and then my favorite, of course, is the Gmail. You can send book suggestions, you can join in on our discussions of the books that we've already read, uh, you can send cute, I don't know, pictures, animals, kids flowers I don't know <laughs> whatever kind of pictures you want to send or just say hi or I mean it's an email you can do whatever you want pretty much um <laughs> and you can email us at uniquely portable magic podcast at gmail.com thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you next week